While they're making their way out, let me invite you to take out your copy of God's Word or maybe turn on your device. We're in Nehemiah chapter 4. We began a journey through the book of Nehemiah uh, several weeks ago. Took a little pause last week as JB uh, preached from the Gospel of John. But today we go back into our series through the book of Nehemiah. And so we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 4. Tim Chalice, a Christian writer and blogger, describes what he categorizes as seven false teachers plaguing the church, seven false preachers or sermons or books that uh, have come into the church. He will identify them as the heretic or the charlatan. One of the false teachers that he identifies that's plaguing the church is the tickler. He will say that the tickler is the one that preaches a word that makes sure everyone likes it or is in agreement with it. He will preach a word that is little on hell and much on heaven. That speaks nothing of sin, but all of blessing. The tickler desires for popularity and for power and for uh, pleasures of this world. He will preach about gaining what the world has to give, whether it be wealth or health or status. The tickler is the preacher who will talk only about the parts of the Bible that make you smile or be empowered. Every sermon will have some form of breakthrough or new season or claim this or speak these words and life will be better. The problem with the tickler is they pack churches, but they preach no gospel. They fill pulpits, but they help no one. You see, brothers and sisters, a gospel that is void of suffering, a gospel that is void of pain, a gospel that does not talk to the realities of life is no gospel at all. For the Bible will tell us clearly as we look through the text that the Bible, the gospel, the good news, Christ following the Lord is not about gathering and gaining the blessings of this life. It's about gaining the Lord Himself and a future that is beyond compare. But oftentimes, in our new modern gospel of have it your way, as Burger King would tell us, uh, that you can name your price as the apps will declare, in a world where we want to be serviced by God instead of serve God, we don't want to talk about suffering. We don't want to talk about struggle. We only want the best life now. Can I tell you something funny? If you think your best life's now, you don't understand heaven at all. The idea is, is that we need to know that suffering is a part of this world. Job would tell us that as man lives, sparks fly up, that it is a struggle. Think about the many men of God and women of God throughout the Scripture that suffered for doing what was right, that had problems and, and uh, faced adversity for following the Lord. In fact, Jesus Himself. Think of Jesus. What did He do? He healed the sick. He made the lame to walk, the dead to rise. He fed the hungry. He preached of the love of God. He told the people how to find God, how to come to God. And what was his reward? A cross, thorns, nails. Jesus himself said in John 16, these words, I have said these things to you that you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus, from the mouth of our Savior says, this world is going to cause you trouble. Might I submit to you that if your walk with the Lord has not caused you trouble with the world, you might need to check your walk with the world. 
If it's not caused you opposition in some way or some place or some form, if you're not on the narrow way, walking the path of Christ, which is opposite of the wide way that leads to destruction, then then maybe you should reassess your walk with the Lord. Because Jesus tells us that His followers will face tribulation. By the cross we come. In fact, Jesus would say, before you follow me, count the cost. Paul would say, when you follow the Lord, count a joy when you have suffering. This is the idea. In Nehemiah chapter 4, that's exactly what we're going to see. We're going to see people of God doing the right thing and they suffer for it. People of God honoring the Lord, walking with the Lord, obeying the Lord, and instead of gaining wealth and health and prosperity and power, what they gain is enemies and struggle and strife, and depression, and anxiety, and anger. They gain all of those things that come when we're under attack. Would you look at, with me at Nehemiah chapter 4? I'm going to read the first six verses just to whet our appetite of the Word, but we'll work through the whole chapter. Nehemiah chapter 4, Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry, and greatly enraged, and jeered at the Jews. And he said, In the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria... What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish and the burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. Verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their head and give them up plunder in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out for your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now verse 6. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we thank you that the Bible... The Scripture, Your Holy Word, does not avoid the topic of suffering. It does not avoid the topic of opposition. Father, we confess that there are times when we're doing what's right and it's hard. We're doing what's right and it seems like we're running into opposition in every corner. Father, remind us. Remind us that this is the will and the way of Your work in our heart. Your light to the nations that we would stand in the midst of adversity and proclaim your goodness. Father, there are those in this room that marriage is hard. Parenting is tough. Standing for Christian values in their circle of influence is wearing them down. At every turn, opposition seems to be chiseling away at their resolve to follow you. Lord, even some need to make decisions to follow you, to be bold. Lord God, I pray this morning as we study this chapter of your people standing and working in the face of opposition. Lord, teach us this morning how we are to be planted How we are to draw from the reservoir of your word and the strength of your spirit and the finished work of your son. And stand boldly in the face of opposition and know we are walking 
in the way that pleases you. Teach us, Lord, from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is in this text a way for us to learn how to face opposition, how to handle the struggle of doing what is right. Let me just remind you where we are in the story. Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah is in Persia. He hears the words that the, the wall of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem is still in shambles. Even though some of the exiles had gone back and began to build a temple and began to build an altar, they had yet to build a wall. Without a wall around the city, there was no identity, there was no security, there was no prosperity, there was no uh, place. But to Nehemiah, the wall was not about just building a physical fence. It was about the glory of the Lord. The people of God were to be in the city of God. In the city of God, Jerusalem, Zion, is to be the place where the gospel of God will go forth. It will be that city where Christ will die. It will be that city where His resurrection will come. It will be that city where the gospel will go forth that was promised to Abraham, promised to Adam, promised to Moses, promised to David. This is the city that represents the glory of God on the earth. And so we know that when Nehemiah sees a broken wall, he sees God's glory being mocked. He is hurt. He is cut to the heart. He gets up the nerve to pray and ask the king to send him. The king blesses him. The pagan king, mind you. The king who does not care much for the God of Israel, but cares about Nehemiah. And God stirred the heart of the pagan king and let him go back. And we see this in chapter 2. He begins to build the wall. He rallies the troops. In chapter 3, they begin to lay bricks one by one. And if you read chapter 3, it tells you all of the people participated in rebuilding the wall. But now... We find ourselves, according to verses 1 through 6, the wall is about halfway built. They're about halfway into this project. They're at the midway point, and at the midway point, it starts to get hard. It starts to bog down. And first, we see that there's opposition from the outside. The enemies of the Lord are coming against them. Then we will notice in verses 7 through 13 that there is kind of a, a despair growing on the inside. That this is, this is more than we thought. We might have bit off more than we could chew. This is getting hard. The way of the Lord is tough. And so we find that in this whole chapter, there is this rallying point against opposition. You see, they had two choices. They could quit or they could keep going. And Nehemiah will rally them around the word of the Lord and remind them that to keep going is to honor God. Might I just say this to you before we go any further? Brother or sister, wherever you are, whatever you're facing, do not quit following the Lord. It's worth it to keep going. It's worth it to do what's right. It's worth it to fight for your marriage and the souls of your children. It's worth it to continue to be a witness in your school and your job. It's worth it to stand on principle to your lost family that needs to hear the gospel. It's worth it. It's worth it to walk in a way which honors the Lord. And so we have in this text, I think, three truths to help us face opposition. How do we face when we're doing what's right and, and opposition comes, adversity comes? I'm going to give them to you this morning. Truth, truth number one, when opposition comes, pray and proceed. Pray and proceed. Look, look with me at verses 1 through 6. Let me show you what I mean. It says in verse 1, Now when Samballot heard that they were building the wall, he was angry. The word angry here literally means he was running hot. He was bubbling over with anger. Why would Samballot be angry? Because when Jerusalem is crumbled, he's a regional governor of Samaria. With Jerusalem being weak, his pockets are getting more money. His power is getting more influence. He doesn't care about the glory of God or the goodness of people. He cares about himself. And as long as Jerusalem is weak, he's in a better position personally. 
And that is the complete opposite of Nehemiah. Nehemiah desires the glory of God to be proclaimed and the people of God to be blessed. He cares about others, therefore he's working for the Lord. Well, the Lord's blessing that. Brick by brick, mortar slab by mortar slab, the wall is coming up. In fact, we'll learn in a couple of chapters over that the wall is built in 52 days, which means they're at 25 or so days into this project, and it's starting to look like a wall. Sam Ballad, who didn't think they would get anywhere, is now getting angry. He's got to do something because this project's actually happening. It's working. These farmers and migrants and nobodies, this ragtag group of Jewish exiles, are building a wall. It's coming up. He's got to do something. Notice what he does in verse 2. And it said, In the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria. So he's got plenty of people surrounding him. He's about 12, 15 miles away from Jerusalem. He's safe in his army. He's safe in his bunker, his lair. And this is what he says. He says, In the presence of his brothers and his army, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice Will they finish up in day, in a day? Will they receive the stone, revive, excuse me, revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish and the burn ones at that? Now notice what he does. He asks five rhetorical questions, all designed to tear them down. Listen to me now, I don't want you to miss this. One of the first and easiest weapons that Satan will use to oppose us is words. They take no effort, they take no facts, they take very little investment. The words of opposition are used by the evil one in order to pull us down. Shakespeare would call the words of opposition paper bullets to the brain. Uh, one writer would say that bullets, that, uh, excuse me, uh, that ridicule is the bullets of Satan's tongue. That he will use words to pull us down. So this is what Samballot does. He asks five rhetorical questions in order to discourage them. Y'all really think you're going to build that? You really think you're going to have a sacrifice? You think you'll actually get done and worship the Lord when this is over? You really think that fire heap of stones that you're picking through is going to hold this wall up? You really think, notice the question he says in verse 2, you really think you'll get done with this in a day? He's telling them, he's reminding them, this is hard, isn't it? It's slow, isn't it? Them rocks are heavy. And remember, they're halfway. You know, laying a, a block at your feet ain't as hard as laying one at your eyes. Uh, laying one up above your shoulders gets even harder. you you got to lift that thing. You ever gotten into a project and realized, boy, I got way too deep into this thing? And let me tell you about my most recent adventure. I decided I was going to build a farmhouse table. I've been surveying Pinterest. I've been asking questions to some of you in the crowd that know how to do those things. I, I've even borrowed some really fancy tools that I was not going to pay for, and so that worked out real well. And I started building the farmhouse table. This was about two months ago I started building the farmhouse table. Let me tell you how far I've gotten. It's on some sawhorses in my carport. It's in five or six pieces. It's barely sanded. A couple of screws are in it. But it's going to look good according to Pinterest when I'm done, right? I got into this thing and thought, boy, this looked a lot easier with that YouTube video that only took five minutes. It's not as easy as I thought. It's slower than I anticipated. Well, that's where the Jews are. They're halfway into this project. They're tired. They're hot. Those bricks are big. It's getting long. They're getting down. And so what does the opposition do? The opposition starts to whisper. You really think you're going to get this done? You really think you're the man that can pray through your broken marriage? You really think you're the parent that can stand up and hold your kid accountable to the gospel? You really think you got the nerve to be different in the community when everybody else is going this direction? You really think you got the fortitude to do that? 
enemy starts whispering in our ear. Those bullets of Satan, those paper bullets to the brain. You, you remember telling your kids, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that not the dumbest lie we've ever told kids? Words hurt. They will tear you down. They will break you. They will hurt you. They will harm you. It is a forked tongue we learn from the book of James that is a, a, can start a fire or turn a ship. It's a wild horse that needs to be bridled. And the opposition of Satan will begin to whisper in your ear, you won't make it. You're going the wrong way. It's not worth it. He uses words in order to bring down the work. He is discouraging them. We see this all through Scripture. The people laughed at Noah when he began to build a boat. Noah, we've never seen rain before in God's creation. What are you doing building a boat in the middle of a desert? They laughed at him. Goliath, when David walked out, said, This is the best you can bring towards me, this runt of a litter, you fearful Israelites. Jesus himself was mocked. They slapped his face and told him to prophesy. They said he is a blasphemer. They spit on him. Listen to me now. When you are going the right direction... The words of the enemy will get louder. The opposition of Satan will draw in. When you begin to build your wall in your life the way God intends you to build it, Satan will take notice. He may not be named Samballot in your life, but Satan will take notice. The eye of the evil one will see it. And he will begin to throw those darts of words of discouragement. But I want you to notice what you're supposed to do when that happens. Look with me at verse 4 and 5. Here is the strategy of Nehemiah. What a leader we have here in Nehemiah. His strategy is simply, first and foremost, pray. Pray. Listen to what he does in verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we despise, uh, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt and their heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captive. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now, this is what we would call an impregatory prayer. It is a prayer of judgment. You'll find these in the book of Psalms. You can find those. It is the idea that we are calling for the justice of God. Now, when you first read that, it sounds totally opposite of what Jesus would say. Jesus would say, love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. Pray for those who persecute you is what Paul would write in the text. So when we read this, this seems a little bit out of character. It seems a little bit vengeful. But I want you to notice something very clearly about what Nehemiah is doing. When Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount primarily to pray for our enemies, to love those who come against us, to turn the other cheek, when he tells us those things, he's particularly talking about an individual believer who has a conflict with another person. He is not talking about the grand glory of God in the scheme of things. Nehemiah is dealing with a group of people who are trying to stop the building of the wall, which ultimately means they are trying to go against the glory of God. So when Nehemiah prays, Lord, crush their head, don't forgive them, turn them away, bring them down, he's simply praying this, Lord, your name is being run through the mud. Your glory is being sullied. They're coming against you, Father. Bring justice. Now listen, as people of God, we are all through Scripture told to love. Love is the primary key we find. The world will know us by our love. We are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love is the picture of Christ on the cross. We love Him because He first loved us. We understand 
that the overwhelming motivation, movement, and feelings of our lives should be love towards others. And so when we think about the idea that Christians should hate, it seems polarizing to us. But I want you to hear me, because there are two things we should always hate. The first one is sin. We should hate sin. We should hate sin and its effects. We should hate anything that is against God's word. And that leads to the second one, and don't miss it. We should hate it when the glory of God is being mocked. When the kingdom of God is being made fun of, we are not picking up stones to defend ourselves. Notice in the prayer, Nehemiah does not go back with them word for word. He does not grab stones and attack them. He does not spread rumors about them. He does not try to verbally assault them. He simply turns to the Lord and says, Lord, they are mocking your name. May your glory be found. May your glory come. Now, you might say, well, we don't pray like that. Yes, we do. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. When you pray thy kingdom come, you're praying that the perfect justice of God would reign on the world. You're praying that way. How many times have you said, Lord, come? Come quickly, Lord. You know what you're praying for? The rescue out of this world and the judgment for injustice that we see all around them. This week I drove to Disney World 10 hours in a car with my family. As we moved into Florida and we began moving down, I started to notice a certain billboard. It was a billboard advertising a gentleman's club where you could stop in and see the ladies showing all of the things the Lord has called us to cover. Billboard after billboard after billboard after billboard. I'm thankful that my children were sleeping or napping or playing electronics. I'm thankful they didn't look up and say, Daddy, what does that mean? As I'm riding down the interstate, I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, come, fix this mess, this brokenness. I'm tired of, of cancer. I'm tired of death. I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of evil. I'm tired of children being kidnapped and Christians being martyred and preachers being in prison for sharing the gospel. Jesus, come. We pray these prayers all the time for the justice of God. Nehemiah is not praying for his own name or his own honor. He's praying for God's glory. Brothers and sisters, when you face opposition, it is a good sign you are going the right way. Don't fall to the temptation of defending yourself. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom, right? But the idea is simply this. Pray for the glory of God. Pray for the justice of God. And as you're praying for the glory of God and the justice of God, there's a second part to this first truth. Not only should you pray, but you should proceed. Look at verse 6. Look at what he says. So we built the wall. I like that sentence. We didn't listen to them. We didn't go try to debate them. We didn't try to whoop them. We didn't try to come against them. We didn't try to have some sort of popularity vote and get the people to decide who they're following. We just simply proceeded to do what the Lord told us to do. We kept putting one foot in front of the other, doing what was right. We didn't listen to the opposition. We kept doing what we knew the Lord was telling us. And all the while, we was joined together to half its height. For the people had one mind to word. Brothers and sisters, when you face opposition and words of discouragement begin to come your way because you know you're doing what's right, but it seems to be hard, and, and Satan and his serpents and his evil ones are throwing darts of whispers into your ear, the, the snake is whispering opposition to you, can I just give you the right approach? Pray that the justice of the Lord would be done. Pray that His mercy would strengthen you. And then secondly, get up again and do what's right. Get up again and do what's right. The Christian faith is not a secret. 
There's not some secret level to Christianity that you finally get enlightenment to. The Christian faith is revealed by God through His Word, ultimately through His Son, and it's simply this. Love the Lord. Love people. Read His Word. Pray. Gather with His church. Serve your wife. Serve your husband. Share the Gospel. Build the wall. Brothers and sisters, when you face opposition, pray. Proceed. Keep going. In fact, if you're going a certain way and you don't face opposition, stop. Panic. Figure out what's wrong. Because you should be facing opposition according to the words of Jesus. Walk and continue. Let me give you a second way of facing opposition in the text. Number two is simply this. When opposition comes, remember and resist. Remember and resist. Look at verse 7. We find in verse 7 that the words didn't work. Verse 6 tells us the wall kept being built, kept going up. So what happens in verse 7? Look there. But when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. You know what will unite God's enemies? God's people doing what's right. You can put all those folks together against God's people. It united them together. They are against the Lord's work. So look at verse 8. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is falling. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come together and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near came from all directions and said to us ten times, that, that's an allegory of saying over and over and over, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and in open places, I stationed the people by their clans and with their swords and spears and in their bows. And I looked and arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, here it is now, here's the crux of the passage, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when the enemies heard this, and they knew to us that we knew their plan, excuse me, that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, and each to his work. Notice what happens. The enemies try verbal assault first. They try to discourage them with words. They try to pull them down with opposition of tongue. That doesn't work. So now they're going to come against them physically. They're going to cause them physical harm. And you'll notice there, along about verse 8, 9, and 10, you'll see that even in Judah, there's discouragement growing. It says, now we're getting worried. Are we going to be able to finish? There's rumors of attacks coming. Even the people who were living out in the villages are coming into the wall saying, listen, it's getting dangerous out here. You guys got to come back and protect us. We don't, we don't know what to do. There is this war brooding. It's coming. Notice what happens. Again, listen to Nehemiah's strategy. What does he do first? He prays. It says in verse, um, uh, verse 9, it says these words, And we prayed to our God and set a guard of protection against them day and night. I love that verse. That verse, I, I love. Let me tell you why I love that verse. First of all, Nehemiah knew he will fight this battle through prayer first. He will pray to the Lord. Now listen, let's be clear here. Prayer is not a magic remedy to remove opposition. Prayer is not a magic remedy to remove opposition. Prayer is a provision from a loving God that He's with us. Listen now, don't miss it. Prayer doesn't mean all of a sudden everything's going to be better and it's going to go away. Prayer is a reminder 
That whatever you face, God is with you. As the old preacher would say, if God brought you to it, He'll bring you through it. He's with you. Prayer is a reminder that God is there. But notice that verse again, verse 9. Listen to what he says. So we prayed and we set a guard. I love that verse. Why? Because heaven and earth are both doing their part. Because heaven and earth are joined together in one accord. We're seeking the Lord. We know we won't be able to do this on our own. Remember the question that Sam Ballad asked in the first couple of verses? Will you finish this wall in a day? How do you think you're going to get this done? And what does Nehemiah do in verse 9? He realizes, nope, we won't finish it, but God will finish it through us. We'll pray. God will show up. Faith will declare this to be done. We know we serve a great God who does great things through feeble people and broken vessels. So he begins to pray. He asks the Lord to intervene and to move. But then he gets up off his knees and he does what is practical, what is right. He does his part. He does his thing. I I often joke with my children trying to teach them about prayer. And I say, now, prayer doesn't work where you just lay in the bed and say, God, please turn my lamp off. I forgot to. Right? God gave you two legs. He created you to get up and go turn your lamp off. Right? That's that's part of earth's the uh, work in heaven. The idea here is that Nehemiah is not stepping outside of God's will. He's not going ahead of God. He's just doing simply what he's learned through prayer and practical planning to do. And notice what he does there in the verses 7 through 12. He puts guards at all the weak spots. If there's a hole in the wall, he sets a guard. If it's low, he sets a guard. If the gate's not hung yet, he puts a guard. Why? So when the armies come approaching, they will visibly see very clearly there are soldiers on the watch. He sets them in place. And so what do we learn from this text? We simply learn this. There are two things here that help us. Look at verse 14. That's where we'll find it. When you face opposition, here's what you should do. You should remember and resist. Look at verse 14. That's the centerpiece of this text. Nehemiah gives them a sermon. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome And fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters and your wives. He tells them two truths here when we face opposition. The first one is, remember the Lord. Now I realize that seems like a Bible school answer. When you're facing opposition and for someone to come up to you and say, don't forget about God, seems a little bit like a cookie cutter answer. Brothers and sisters, we are quick to forget about God. We are stiff-necked people that will forget that God is for us and not against us. That God is over all things. That God is in charge. That God is good. That even when we face opposition, God has a plan for that. That even in the pressure, the diamond will come. The idea is is that God is working through all of this. And so He remembers the Lord. Even Paul, when he was training Timothy, the pastor, one who had gone on many, many mission trips with Paul, who had planted churches with Paul, when he writes back to Timothy, you know what he tells him? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Granted now, this is the second letter to Timothy. He still says this, remember Jesus Christ. Don't forget the gospel. Don't forget what we're doing. Don't forget who we're serving. Don't forget who's on our side. When you face opposition, don't forget that greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. When you face struggle, don't forget you are on the winning team. I often joke with you about my athletic career, which is very short-lived. I was on the basketball team, and I, I tell you all the time, and it's certainly true, if I was in the game, we were winning big or losing bad. Or somebody had to be fouled. That's about how that worked. But I ended up playing on a, a pretty good team. Now, I was a, a great cheerleader, a good high-fiver, and I could tote the basketballs to the bus with the best of them. But I ended up playing on a pretty good team. And we had this w- one guy on, on our team 
that went on to play college basketball a little bit and, and made his way up through some amateur ranks. And, and so most games, when we walked in the gym, we knew we were going to win before we started because he was on our team. It felt good to be associated with him. Now, I didn't have the athletic ability to tie my shoe at, without sitting down and catching my breath, but he could shoot the basketball and score. I was on the winning team. Isn't it good, brothers and sisters, to know we're on the winning team? We won't lose. What can they throw at us? We say, well, pastor, they can throw suffering at us. Okay. Life is but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. Well, pastor, they, they can throw opposition and persecution. They can cancel us out as the culture is moving further and further away from the Lord. They can bondage us. They can silence us. They can try to lock us up. They can harm us. They can hurt us. They can cut us out of social things. They can ignore our children because we're doing what is gospelly correct. There's a lot of problems that can come with sharing the gospel. Great! Can they take away my Jesus? Can they take away my heaven? Can they take away my eternity? Brothers and sisters, do not fear the one that can take the body, but the one that can take the soul. And if you're with Jesus, your soul is secure. Bring it on. Because we have the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember who is mighty and majestic. Listen to Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He puts on strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are everlasting. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house. O Lord forever. We are on the winning team. Nehemiah looked at that ragtag bunch who is going through a lot of opposition and he looked at them and says, hey, don't forget the Lord. Remember the Lord. Not only does he tell them to remember the Lord, but he reminds them to resist. Look at the second part of verse 14. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. He reminds them to resist, to fight, to stand up for what is right. Now, he's not just calling them to war. He's calling them to a purpose. He said, listen, the building of this wall is the purpose of God. It is the prophetic work of God. It is declared that God will build back Jerusalem and Jerusalem will become a city in which the slain Messiah will walk into and resurrect from. So this has to be done. Remember our calling. When you go and do what is right, remember the purpose and the reason. And so he gives them a picture bigger than themselves. He says, remember, when you're standing guard, you're standing guard for your wife and your daughter and your brother and your sister. You're standing guard for the generations that come after you. You're standing in guard of the place of those who came before you. Brothers and sisters, when you stand for the faith and you stand at your spot on the wall, you are standing for all of those who carried the gospel before us. And you're standing for all of those who will get the gospel after us. We are a link in the chain, a pebble in the stone of God's mountain. And we stand and we resist. Why? Because God is so he declares, stand, resist, fight, do what's right. Pass down the faith. Our calling is not to build a wall in Jerusalem. But our calling is to go and make disciples of all nations. Our calling is that when you have received the Spirit, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Our calling 
is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Our calling is to love one another as Christ has loved us. Our calling is to proclaim that Jesus is the Savior. We stand. and We resist and we fight because we remember the Lord. Now notice what happens when that, when that works out. When we, when we stand for the Lord, notice what happens. Look, look, look at what it says in verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plans, we returned to the wall, each to his work. They didn't even have to pull out a sword. They got ready. They prayed. They trusted the Lord. They stand firm on the conviction of the good news of God. And God fought their battle for them. God did the work through them. This reminds me of Psalm 33, 10 and 11. I'll give it to you on the screen. It reads this way. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. There is not a king on this earth that God is not over. He frustrated their plans. Let me show you a third and final truth from the text this morning. How you can face opposition. Not only should you remember and resist, but finally I would give you this one. And this one's probably the most proactive one in the text. And that's simply this. We need to strategize and sacrifice. Now let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 16 through 23. We'll read the rest of the chapter. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. That's an armor suit they're wearing. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were, built, who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens loaded in which a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held the weapon with the other. They, they cut the wheelbarrow load in half so they could carry a sword and the stones. They, they had a strategy, a plan. Now look at verse 19. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall for from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Verse 21, so we labored at the work and half of them held spears and from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem. So gather in, sleep inside the city, that they may be a guard for us by night and labor by day. Now verse 23, so neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none took off their clothes. That means nobody went down to the river and bathed. They kept working. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Now notice what happens. They know opposition is coming. They understand that to do what is right for the Lord, you will receive opposition. Listen to me now. Don't miss this. One of the reasons why we are not good at standing up for the Lord when we face opposition is because we have not prepared to face opposition before it comes. We've not built ourselves a strategy and a plan. But I'm warning you now, if you do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, you will face opposition. Do not face it without a plan or a strategy. Be ready to face that opposition. Notice what they did. They had a strategy for work and for war. They traded shovels for spears, swords and trials, hand in hand, working and fighting. They were offensive and defensive. They rallied together. They had a signaling system. They joined one another. There are some things here we can learn that we can apply that might be a little bit uh, spiritual for us. One, I see that their strategy included working together. Uh, brothers and sisters, can I help you with your Christian walk? I'll be glad to. Can you help me with mine? Yes. 
We battle together. We don't battle alone. We battle together around God's Word, deep in prayer, helping one another walk the way that is right and narrow. We don't stand separated. The most fragile thing is a Christian by themselves. We want to stand together. Not only that, but we notice they had some tools for this stand. They had some offensive tools, the sword and the spear. We have the same. We have the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of truth, the the mechanism of fighting. They had some defensive tools, the armor that they wore, the, the stones that they stood behind, the trumpet that they sounded. We have defensive tools. We put on the belt of truth and the shield of righteousness. We put on the helmet of salvation. We're ready to face all of those things. They were ready. They had a strategy. What else did they do? They sacrificed. They gave up bathing. God bless them. They gave up their homes. The Bible says here they worked till the stars came out. That's way past dusk. They worked late into the night. With zeal, they kept pressing on. Can I, can I help you understand why sometimes you lose when it comes to the opposition of the evil one? You haven't prepared, and you're not willing to sacrifice. You haven't had a strategy, and you're not willing to give up things in order to make it better. I would suggest that probably right now, at this moment, you're least likely to sin, barring being asleep in your bed. And some of you are asleep at church, so that's double. But right now is probably the, the best time to not sin. You're in church. Now, some of you might be thinking, boy, he's getting long. That's sin, by the way. Quit it. But, but, but right now, you're in a safe place worshiping the Lord. But Friday night, Saturday after a long day, Thursday after a long shift, and that coworker, you know that coworker I'm talking about. I got him too. It's harder. It's harder. That, that meeting you got to go to, that, that time when your, your body's tired, your mind's tired, you're a long ways from Sunday sermon. You're a long ways from that cup of coffee and that Sunday school lesson. You start to wear down. And you stumble. And you sin. You, you know why? You didn't have a strategy for Friday night. You didn't have a plan. You, did, you didn't prepare. You see, I... I'm convinced nobody just wants to wake up and start sinning, but they certainly start sliding. And then they fall into it. Brothers and sisters, we must constantly be vigilant with our strategy. And we must be willing to sacrifice. When you face opposition, you must be willing to give up. What causes that? Men, you want to stop looking at pornography? Throw your phone away. Ladies, you want to stop getting lost in the gossip of online world and thinking that you've got to match every other magazine and photo shoot that comes out? Throw your phone away. Husbands, you want to quit tinkering with everything that comes on Pinterest and thinking you're a carpenter? Stop looking at Pinterest. <laughs> Make a strategy. Have a plan. Fight. Sacrifice. Can I give you a word of encouragement before we leave? Let me show you one part that I really like. I like it all. I think you've noticed that, but but I want to show you one place. Look at verse 19. Sometimes doing what's right is hard. Fighting for your marriage can be hard. Holding your children to a gospel standard in a world that doesn't care is hard. Uh, Holding your witness in a community that doesn't really care about the standards of the Lord is tough. You have to make sacrifices. You have to make stands. You have to... 
declare things. You have to give up stuff. Uh, parenting for the gospel. Lifestyles in opposition of the community. Forgiving. Those are all hard things to do when we start to follow the Lord. Tithing can be a sacrifice. Giving your time for ministry for others can be a sacrifice. It can be hard. But I want to give you a word of encouragement. Look at verse 19 and 20. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. and We are separated on the wall. Verse 20. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. There are two thoughts of encouragement I want to give you. The first one is, brother and sister, when you are a part of the family of God, you are never alone in the battle for God. You're not alone. If you find yourself struggling, you find yourself in opposition, you find you're there, then listen, I'm telling you, I'm giving you permission. Sound the trumpet. Call for help. Look to others to rally around you so that you may have what you need to fight the battle for the day. But I want to give you one final word of encouragement that I think will leave you smiling from ear to ear. You see, in that day, the trumpet meant rally to the battle. But brothers and sisters, we are listening for another trumpet. And we are working. We are working faithfully for the Lord. Because the battle is already over. The victory is already sure. Christ is already risen. So we work faithfully. We keep sacrificing. We keep standing. We keep fighting. Why? Because when we hear that trumpet, brothers and sisters, the dead in Christ shall rise first and those that are left behind shall meet them in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever and it will all be worth it. It'll be worth it. So I encourage you. Keep working till you hear the trumpet. Keep going. Keep persevering. Keep praying. Keep resisting. Keep doing what's right. For God will fight our battles. Would you pray with me, Father? We thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word and the goodness of the fact that you are the God who fights our battles for us. Oh, yes, we're called to a responsibility. We're called to a response in faith we're called to to do what you've told us to do in your word to do our part but we know lord we are broken vessels we're fallen creatures we are limping and and bruised and battered through this world but father when we pray and when we seek your way and when we stand with your people and when we strategize and sacrifice and do what you call us to do god we look back and see that you have fought our battles you have done what is right and good. And God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we don't face an enemy that can defeat us. For you have died and was buried and rose from the grave, breaking the very death that entangled us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. For we are with you and you are victorious. God, we pray that we would be found faithful till the trumpet sounds. That, Lord, we would follow you and, and walk in your way. Father, we just ask that you would give us strength. Brother and sister, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Can I just ask you this morning clearly, are, are you wore down? Are you tired? Are you discouraged? Are you trying to do what's right and it seems to be hard? 
Maybe this morning you just need to hear these words from Nehemiah. Remember the Lord. Remember your call. Maybe this morning you might say, well, Pastor, I, I really don't face any opposition. I'm really uh, not battling any struggles. I'm, I'm really not rubbing up against anything. Then, then maybe by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of His Word, you need to examine your witness and your walk. Teenager, if you don't look different than the classmates that are seeking the world, something's wrong. Factory worker and teacher and doctor nurse, if, if, if you're not living a life that's, that's marked different from those who are pursuing the things of this world, then, then something's wrong. Oh, brother and sister, let us stand on the wall. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing as we always do. I offer you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you want to come this morning and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I, I need Jesus. I need something bigger than my life. I need that gospel that's been passed down. I want to stand on the wall. Maybe this morning you want to come and pray because you're facing something hard. Might be your marriage, might be your parenting, might be your witness in the community. Might be a struggle you're battling and you haven't had a very good strategy and you want to pray to the Lord. Whatever the case may be, I, I pray this morning you'll stand up in the face of opposition. Father, lead us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? You come if the Lord leads.